Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today we will be talking about managing localization vendors at scale. To speak to me about that, I have invited Wayne Borland, an expert in this area. Wayne Borland is recognized as an agent for change, driving innovation and process efficiencies across global organizations. After a decade-long career in the U.S. Army, he joined Dell, starting as a rep in the call center and quickly moving to managing call centers, launching call centers globally, and then into content management and localization. He currently leads a global translation team responsible for translation, localization, and interpretation for Dell Technologies. With no background in linguistics, he approaches the industry with a different perspective, focusing on end value and customer acceptance versus traditional industry key performance indicators. Wayne is a member of the Taos Advisory Board and has been published in Multilingual Magazine, The Economist, Brand Quarterly, and numerous industry blogs, and along with 11 other industry peers, just published the Localization Strategy Playbook. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Wayne. Thank you. Glad to be here. Please introduce yourself and provide some background in terms of what you do. My name is Wayne Borland. I've been at Dell for the past 23 years, uh, after spending about a decade in the U.S. Army. Uh, For the past 15 years, I've been associated with translations uh, in some capacity, uh, and currently I lead our our global translation team. So I'm responsible for everything translation, internationalization, interpretation related uh, at Dell Technologies. Uh, You know, my team is a sort of a center of excellence uh, for managing suppliers, pricing, turnaround time, quality, uh, and as you would expect. Uh, But we have been we've been really focusing in the past couple of years on being a strategic partner, a consultant, advisor, the go-to for questions related to language strategy and how to deliver, you know, to have the, the most impact. You have a long tenure in, in the translation and localization space, and you mentioned that it's been almost 23 years or something. Uh, please tell us how you started and, and how you were things back in the day when you when you got started. Sure. Uh, so Dell, 23 years, but translation's only 15. So I was, I was actually in China visiting our teams there. I was part of the leadership team for a content organization that developed troubleshooting articles uh, for support. Uh, and my boss called me and asked if, if I'd be interested in running the translations team. And I said, you know, sure, why not? Uh, you know, I didn't know anything about translations other than Martin Luther you know, had translated the Bible into German in the 1500s, and that was about my only perspective on it. Uh, so back then, you know, the team that involved in the organization I run today with some company and or consolidations along the way, you know, we were handling only seven languages, uh, and the annual volumes were probably less than what we do in a week today, uh, sometimes even wow. uh, in a day. So much different uh, then versus now. And uh, it's been a while. So what has stood out to you in terms of the evolution in the industry, things that have changed and shifted since you started, basically, uh, things that, you know, were game changing in a sense? Yeah, you know, it, in some areas, we've come a long way, right? But in others, you know, nothing has really changed. Uh, you know, pricing is still predominantly cost per word. You still have a lot of folks who are afraid of machine translation. You still have endless rounds and of conversations about what quality is, right? Uh, and on the client side, you know, all too often, we, we're still the last thought when someone wants to take a product global, right? 
Uh, so that's the stuff that hasn't changed, right? But on the stuff that has, you know, MT has vastly improved. Um, you know, AI is here. You know, it's still not implemented as widely as we'd like it to be, but but definitely at least here. Uh, and people, I think another big difference, people are really starting to span the conversation about quality to the the quality of the source content and to the outcomes of the translated content. So not just thinking about quality uh, within the parameters of the little black box that we that we manage. So let's dive into our main topic of uh, conversation for today. We are going to be talking about managing localization vendors at scale, something that you do a lot, basically. Uh, let's talk about what is localization at scale or managing vendors of, of uh, localization, you know, at your scale within a blue chip enterprise of your size. Yeah, so, you know, you can you can define scale in a lot of different ways. The size of the program, you know, we translate over 30,000 jobs a year, over 400 million target words, uh, more than more than a billion when you count the, the raw MT that we do outside of our TMS system. So and we support more than 100 different stakeholders within within the enterprise. Uh, when you think about it from that perspective, it, it's not so much about managing each and every job. Uh, we don't have the headcount for that. It's really about picking the right suppliers, ensuring you have a good support team on the supplier side. And that's, you know, that's from the account team to the program management team all the way through uh, to the individual program managers who, you know, really understand your business and your needs and how you operate, uh, you know, the tools and, and, and are really able to act independently to deliver that work. So thank you for providing that background about the big picture. Now let's look at the basics now. What forms the basic components of localization machine inside Dell, your enterprise? Yeah, so obviously you've got TMS and all the associated tools for terminology and query management and quality management, et cetera. Now you've got an intake process. We've got a business development manager on my team that helps us intake new teams that we haven't worked for, uh, worked with in the past. Uh, obviously, suppliers is a big piece of that. Um, the project managers, program managers, language and quality experts, et cetera, uh, on my team that really understand the stakeholder needs and and set up the appropriate workflows to to get the work done. That's really that's really the basics, and it's really not that much different uh, from any large enterprise you go to. And how big is your localization team in terms of dedicated full-time people managing things? We've got about 50 people on my team. You know, probably roughly half of that is is program managers who are working directly with our stakeholders. And we've got, you know, we've got our quality team. We've got uh, our data and analytics. We've got an MT expert. You've got our team managers and and uh, the business development manager I talked about already. And, it's, you know, we've got the finance folks that help us, you know, managing all this spend for all these different folks within the team. So. Um, yeah, about 50 with about half of them working directly on project management and the rest, you know, supporting that in, in some way, either tools or process. And, and localization is primarily text in the sense that we, we are translating text, but there's also graphics and a lot more. Is your team still predominantly working with text or there's now more multimedia type of content that you also process? Yeah, tons of multimedia, uh, you know. The whole multimedia and interpretation, you know, has changed substantially since since the pandemic. Um, you know, we're doing, you know, whereas we only did a few interpretation jobs and they were, you know, local with with, you know, uh, interpreters, uh, you know, at the location in the past. Now we're doing huge events and, and mostly with remote simultaneous interpretation. So we don't even have to have the interpreters there. We don't have to pay for the travel and all, and all that type of stuff. So that's changed significantly for us. The amount of videos that we have, tens of thousands of videos on Dell.com. Uh, and a, a big portion of those are, are translated into at least some portion of the 28 languages we support on Dell.com. So, so definitely multimedia is a, is a big part of what we do today. 
when how much of the localization happens inside the enterprise or or inside Dell typically, based on your experience, and what type of localization functions must be kept in house and not outsourced? Yeah, it's a good question. So so we don't do any linguistic work in house. Uh, you know, we manage the spin, the pricing, the turnaround time, all that stuff I mentioned earlier. Uh, we manage the engagement, you know, with our internal stakeholders, we manage the suppliers, but we don't do the language work. Um, you know, sort of that question of what must be kept in the house, I think primarily it's the relationship with the internal teams that we're supporting. And given the sheer size of an organization like Dell, the amount of content it produces and the markets it is serving, it has to bring in outside localization vendors, which obviously you manage. Can you please tell us how an enterprise develops a criteria for selecting long-term partners for localization? Yeah, we're actually in the middle of doing that right now. We're going through an RFP process. Um, you know, the, the suppliers that we have with us today have been with us for more than 10 years. Um, so we've got a really good history with them, but it's been a long time since we ran an RFP. But, um, you know, we've got a sheet of 39 criteria we're judging suppliers on. I'm not going to list all those, but they're kind of in, in, in four big categories. Uh, growth, so it's things like innovation, automation, financial process, um, oper operations, the main level expertise, um, you know, follow the sun model. You know, we we'll look at value. It's another big category for us. Uh, things like pricing and account management practices it, you know beyond the criteria though if you really simplify it you're looking for suppliers with a scale to meet your needs right, right. Uh, you may you may not want to be their biggest account um industry reputation engagement in the broader industry is something that's really important to us uh and the thing that that people don't think about is the quality of the account team or the program team uh, because if your team the folks that are doing the work every day aren't happy with their counterparts on the supplier side you're going to have a lot of headaches. So that's something we put a lot of focus on is that partnership with, with the supplier team. Understood. So speaking of managing expectations on both sides, there is sometimes a disconnect between what an enterprise like Dell has in mind in terms of solving very specific problems and what vendors see as the problem that they want to solve. Uh, what do they offer solutions that may not be relevant? Where do you see this disconnect coming from? You know, I think there could be a number of reasons, but I think it really comes down to one primary driver, which is lack of transparency. Uh, and that's it's really from the client side. Uh, you know, we meet with our suppliers and annual EBRs, we have QBRs, we have program meetings, we talk about what's going on at the company, we talk about the challenges we're facing, we ask questions, we bring them, you know, we really bring them along with what we're trying to do. Uh, and we do it oftentimes jointly with all of our suppliers together. Um, we really uh, treat them like a part of our extended team. Uh, and we expect them to, you know, oftentimes work together to bring proposals to us, something that's uncomfortable for them, something they don't really, that's fairly unique in the industry. Um, but I think by and large, it's a transparency. You know, they, if you're not telling them what you need, if you're not sharing with them the challenges that you're having, uh, and you're not open to hearing their suggestions, um, then then you're, you're never going to be aligned. Obviously, there is time and effort involved in onboarding a new localization vendor. You're going through an RFP right now and and you know there are challenges of its own uh, given how busy your team is with that investment there must be plans for growing that relationship on both sides uh, and and that can so that you can maximize the value as you mentioned please share a few words on how this happens well I, it's getting to a little bit in the last question we take the approach of treating them treating our suppliers like partners we need them right. to have skin in the game and, and that means we must have you know skin in the game as well uh we engage them across all levels. You know, we do joint webinars with them, you know, whether it's at Loke World or Taos or, you know, other events, uh, joint presentations. We provide references. 
uh, you know, we we want to see our suppliers be successful because we want to work with the top, you know, successful suppliers in the industry. Speaking of which, uh, uh, Dell has been involved in localization for a very long time. How does it support the industry and new and up and coming suppliers? Because not all of them, uh, you know, have the scale or they're gigantic or big enough to to take an account like Dell. Does Dell also has some sort of, you know, a mentoring program or something for these suppliers? Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't think that we do. You know, and it, it's really interesting. Um, like if you attend a conference like Gala, where it's more the smaller um, suppliers, it's definitely a different perspective. Their, their needs are different. Um, you know, how they operate is sometimes different. Um, but you know, it's it's not something we've really looked at in the past. Uh, something maybe to look at in the future. But today, we don't really have any type of a of a mentoring system like that in place. So scaling vendor relationships, Wayne, is an effort on, on both ends, as you mentioned. The vendor must have the desired resources, capacity, and discipline, where uh, the client must have the need and growth plans that aligns the, with the vendor's interests. You just talked about that. And now, does this happen in a structured fashion? You mentioned QBRs, and, and you look at long-term plans. How often do you discuss this with your localization vendor partners? Yeah, you know, the suppliers are always asking if there's you know new opportunities coming, right? You know, what's right. the what's the projection for the next year? Is it flat or is it up or is it lower? Um, you know, and we're at the point where you know we have been for some time where work isn't going to increase significantly. You know, more and more volumes will move to post MT or MT, um, and you know we're we're kind of we have a very robust program in place today too, with many different languages uh, covered. So. Our volumes do go up every year, but it's not going up substantially each year because we've already got a pretty mature, you know, process in place. Um, what we do try to do though is we try to keep them the work roughly even, or I should say, the spend with each supplier uh, roughly even. That's not a guarantee, but we just try as good as good partners to keep the spend relatively the same between between all of them, so that no one gets an oversized share or um, as much as we can help it. And yeah, there's there's obviously spikes. Um, but we we aren't going to do anything artificial to, and we aren't going to do anything artificial even at those lumps. But generally, we try to keep it even. Um, when we do get new opportunities, uh, not your normal translation work, but but new services, or, or uh, we typically give all three an opportunity to make a proposal on it. Uh, I think in a scenario where you're growing rapidly, it's important to be transparent with your suppliers about you know how you're going to allocate work, and if one is getting less, why is that? Where you know where is their performance lacking that's causing uh, you to shift more work to, to you know to others. That's where that whole transparency and keeping them aware of you know how happy you are and how well they're performing against the the KPIs that you have in place and having those frequent conversations is really helpful for the suppliers to know what they what they need to do. In terms of expectations from a vendor, you know, normally it, there's the triangle that everyone is ha- has to deal with. Uh, it's you know people want translation to be cheap, fast, and the highest quality. You can't get all of those uh, in one package. So what what's a priority for Dell in terms of working with vendors? Well, you know, uh, it, I mean, you're right. There is that triangle and you're all, it's very, very difficult to improve one without having an impact on the other. And I think over, I think part of it is taking that long-term view because they all, they all three are really important, right? Um, in in earlier times, the the cost was a big driver, uh, but that's that's somewhat normalized now. We've got really good translation memories in place. We've got good MT and post editing workflows in place, and and the costs are sort of kind of leveled out about as low as they're probably realistically going to go. 
So that's not something we spend a lot of time focusing on today. Um, we're really focusing on turnaround time and, and quality, uh, but not just, as I said earlier, not just the quality of, of the translations, that's obviously very important, but what's the quality of the source content that's coming in? What can that tell us with AI about what type of workflows to send content down? You know, a big challenge that, you know, we have with such a big, with such a large enterprise is, you know, we make these broad swath decisions about this type of work from this group. It's this marketing type of content, it's this category, and it's going to go down this workflow. But the reality is you get all kinds of different types of content coming through. Um, so the better job that we can do of making an informed decision about sending it down the right workflow allows our suppliers to be able to deliver, you know, to the expectations, the appropriate expectations, right? So a big focus on for us is get the right quality, but do it by making sure that you're arming the suppliers with the right context. You're sending things down the right workflows. You've got an understanding of what your source content quality looks like and what your end goal expectations are. And then on, you know, on the turnaround time front, everyone's always wanting it faster because usually it's, you know, we're the last thing in the chain to getting this out the door and they're already way behind. Um, so I think building those relationships with those stakeholder groups so that they understand, you know, if you want quality deliverables, you've got to give us the the needed amount of time to turn around for you. Sure, we can turn around quicker, but we can't guarantee you you're going to get the quality that you're looking for. So really, it's that transparency also with your internal stakeholders about what your capabilities are. Speaking of technology, you mentioned that you're implementing AI in, in terms of uh, machine translation and getting executing the translation itself. But what about the process of um, uh, acquiring the translation? So for in terms of project management and, and categorizing the type of text, are those things in place right now? Or do you think the AI has a role to play? I think AI has a big role to play because, like I said earlier, we're making these broad swath decisions about this type of work from this this stakeholder needs this type of quality or this type of turnaround or the case may be. But as I said, we do over 30,000 projects a year. You can't have, you know, we need a project management team 10 times the size we have today. If you really want to look at each piece of source content and say, well, yeah, that does look like marketing. It does look like it should go down this type of a workflow. You know, we let's do some, let's look at, is there new terminology in here that we haven't seen before? All those type of things that it would be great to do. You simply don't have time to do it. Neither do the suppliers before they, before they pass it on to, to the freelancers, right? But with an, with an AI system, an AI system can look at every single piece of source. It can run linguistic analysis. It, it can understand whether it's got short sentences or long sentences, it's got you know complex noun clusters or it's relatively simple um, sentences. And it can then make smart decisions about this type of work should go down a, you know, what we call a category four or a marketing workflow, or this is really simple text and it's mostly technical. So you know what, you can put it down a category three which is more uh, PEMT, right? And then you can um, infuse, which we haven't done yet. Uh, we haven't done the source analytics yet either, just to be completely honest, but we have plans to, but you can also then implement AI within the workflow uh, that looks at the content after it's translated and says, you know what, this looks really good. We can skip post-editing or based on, on analysis, we know that likely this set of segments wouldn't get very much post-editing. So we'll pass those through and just pass on the ones that we know probably need some post-editing to our uh, to our translators. So there's a lot of things that we're gonna be able to do with AI that's gonna help us you know, focus the translator on just what needs the work, right? And then we're only paying for what needs the work versus today it's really sort of a, 
um, scattershot, you're going to pay for the work regardless of whether this segment needs a little bit of editing or a whole bunch of editing, right? So I think getting smarter about how we leverage AI um, to, to really help us make good decisions about the, the workflows is where they're really the next, that's the next big step for us and for the industry. I agree with you, Wayne, on that one. But let's let's talk back again about uh, how you work with vendors and how you set expectations. Uh, now we can take a look at growth. Um, every organization has a different view of localization, but what does a typical growth rate for localization vendor looks like uh, in, in Dell when dealing with a technology enterprise uh, you know, of your size? Well, you know, as I said, you know, we're rather mature at this point, right? Um, but I can tell you over the, the past seven years, SPIN has roughly increased, uh, except for early in the pandemic, right? Uh, but it's roughly increased at about 5% per year. Um, and volumes have increased at about 10% per year, right? So that tells you a little bit about, you know, we're doing more PEMT and other things where our volume is increasing at a higher rate than than our spend. But spend is still going up. Uh, and cost per word is, has decreased by greater than 10% over the last, well, really the last five years, the last last couple of years, or, or um, over the last seven years, but within the last couple of years, it's really sort of leveled out. Um, as I said earlier, we really can't push cost per word down much lower. Um, so I think for a big enterprise that is, is, you know, not, you know, we're not a startup, right? And we're not in a startup mode where you would see, you know, this really, you know, logarithmic growth of, of volumes. For us, you know, the volumes are coming in we're trying to leverage our dollars to cover more languages. We want to cover, go deeper into the content that we have, the source content that we're creating, because we all know we only translate a small portion of all the content that we ever create, right? Um, so those that growth rate is going to be smaller for a large company like like ours. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. In many ways, enterprises invest in their vendors so they can build capacity in advance. We talked about mentorship earlier, but this is investing in terms of building the, that capacity. Please share some background on uh, how can vendors maximize the value of that investment as ROI for enterprises? Yeah, you know, it's an inter interesting question. All of our suppliers are in the top 10 from a revenue perspective. So we're not investing in them to, to grow capacity, you know, per se. Uh, they don't need that, um, but we do invest in them. Uh, you know, we're quite unique in the industry and in how we partner with our suppliers. You know, they're, as I said earlier, they're competitors, but we but we treat them as part of the Dell Extended team. We put a put them in a lot of situations where they have to work together to bring innovation or insight to us. Um, you know, we, we hold annual EBRs where, where we're bringing them all together. We share results of, of vendor surveys. So, you know, we do surveys on each one of them and they, they do a survey on themselves. Uh, and we compare the results, but we also do a survey on us and they do a survey on us so they can tell us where we're not performing as well as we could be. Right. Um, because, that, you know, there are things if there are things that we can do better that helps them do their work better then then we want to know that. Right. So I think that's and we even go as far as, you know, we 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 give them a trophy. We give a an award out for the supplier of the year. Uh, we give awards out for individual contributors who have had the most impact. Um, you know, and it's just it's just a trophy. It's, it doesn't cost a lot of money, but it really has a, a lot of meaning for them. Uh, that's something they take quite a bit of pride in. Uh, we do joint quality QBRs where we openly share uh, information about 
about uh, how each supplier is doing from a quality standpoint. They know where they stand against their peers, you know, from uh, on performance. Obviously, we don't share anything cost related. That wouldn't be that wouldn't be appropriate. But everywhere that we're able to share information, we do it, you know, across everyone. Uh, and you know, something else is really interesting. For the past couple of years, we've ran a, a translation summit. Uh, where we compensate the translators, a portion of the translators, right? I mean, we probably leverage some 4,000 translators in, a, in, in any given year. Um, but we we compensate a portion of those translators from each supplier uh, so that they can spend four hours with us uh, instead of, you know, so spend our time instead of translating, but talking about our, our products, our processes, getting their input on, on what they would, uh, what would make their, their work and lives easier. And then how do you forecast what the next 12 or 24 months will look like in terms of volume so you, you can build that skill and capacity on the vendor side? Uh, do you have a pipeline, visibility? Do you have interactions with other departments who tell you what to expect? Yeah, so yeah, the first thing I'd say is, you know, we we work with big suppliers, so we'd expect them to have, you know, capacity at hand, right? But we also know it's not quite that that simple. Um, and, and this is a question my, my boss asks quite a bit. Uh, why can't we forecast better? Um, you know, frankly, we're quite bad at it. Um, I, you know, I, and I, I talked to lots of different people in my role at, at different companies, and I don't think any client is is really that great at forecasting. Not nearly as good as as our suppliers would would want us to be. Um, but that said, we use historical data. Uh, we use our relationships with our stakeholders to, to and our understanding about what may be going on in the product cycles to give it to give rough guidance. But um we don't we don't do nearly as good a job as i think our suppliers would like us to do on okay how many jobs are we going to expect next week and to what languages what type of content um there's just too much going on moving way too fast and and things change you know very quickly so uh, i think that level of forecasting is a real challenge for us when you mentioned earlier that uh, one of the criteria for uh, selecting a new vendor is in terms of their innovation and, and how much they've invested in technology and how ahead of the curve they are. So technology is key and every localization vendor must invest in the right technology to stay relevant and respond to customers or Dell's evolving needs. So how do you see vendor technology as an en enabler of growth for your side of the localization business? Yeah, technology is one of those topics like quality. We could, you know, we could talk about it all day long, right? Um, right, right. But really, just to keep it simple, uh, I, I want two things out of the industry on on the technology front. Uh, I want investment in AI. Um, so I don't mean MT, but I mean the things like source scanning and risk assessment and QA, uh, quality assessment models, those type of things. Uh, and the other thing is, I'm, I'm really not interested in technology lock-in. Um, you may have a fantastic technology that will help to reduce cost and improve quality, um, but if if I can't leverage it across my entire vendor pool, then, then it's really of no value to me. So, um, really focusing, I want the industry to really focus on you know tools that can be leveraged across you know multiple suppliers, right? Um, so that's that's my two big ones: AI and 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 technology that's that's leverageable across your entire um, portfolio of suppliers. Given that Dell is a technology firm of its own, and, and obviously you've invested in a lot in technology and technology in terms of uh, helping you with your process, do you expect your vendors to use that technology and somehow develop compatibility with it? You know, we, we are a large technology company, but we don't do a ton of software development. So, and that, that carries through to what we do within the, tech, the translation organization. We use 
you know, say off the shelf uh, technologies. We don't really do any development, um, maybe some development of some API connectors uh, when we need to. But even that we try to, to get from our supplier as much as possible. So, you know, for us, we're not developing the technology. We're, we're really using industry standard technology and, and, you know, by and large, most suppliers are, are pretty comfortable and are, are, are used to using those, those, uh, those technologies. So speaking of technology and, and uh, capacity, uh, let's talk about localization relationship model. Uh, traditionally, large LSPs with uh, multi-region presence and armies of project managers and account managers had the advantage uh, of doing business with large technology enterprises like Dell. Do you see that changing in the light of things happening virtually and uh, you know leveraging technology such as APIs to pass content back and forth? How is that model changing? Yeah, I think it depends on a number of factors, right? So you know, to be clear, I think there are a lot of great LSPs out there that are in the one million to ten million dollar range, and the same for the ten million to fifty million you know dollar range, you know, annual revenue. Uh, and I know a lot of my peers that prefer to work with those those smaller LSPs. They feel like they have more control over direction. They get a lot of attention from all levels of the company. Uh, so certainly, you know, people see value in that. And one thing I would also say is, is none of the, the companies we're working with is because they leverage their sales department to bombard, bombard us, right? We establish our relationships through industry recommendations, reputation. Um, I, I personally hate cold calls. You know, I know the entry well enough that, you know, if I want to do business with you, I'll, I'll come find you. Uh, but for us, you know, we have a we made a strategic decision to work with a, a, a small number of very large LSPs. And, and for a couple of reasons, one, they typically will have the breadth of services uh, that that we may need to cover. So we don't have to go find a, a, a niche provider if we get, say, oh, all of a sudden we now need to do RSI or remote simultaneous interpretation. Well, we need to go find these other these other folks. Uh, either our, our suppliers will have that capability or they'll already have a network of, of partners that they work with to provide that for us. Um, they have burst capacity to deal with uh, you know our poor fact forecasting that I talked about earlier. Uh, and if you had to quickly move away from one supplier, um, you know, the suppliers we work with are large enough that they could pick up that slack very quickly uh, without our stakeholders feeling the impact. Um, and I think that's something that a smaller supplier would struggle with. When uh, to continue or a follow up on that question, do you prefer working with um, LSPs that specialize in a specific type of content or language, or would you rather prefer to work with a one-stop shop, shop that does everything for you? Yeah, it's a later for us. We don't have any true niche needs. You know, most of it is 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 standard marketing translation, you know, standard text, you know, product doc translation, you know, those type of things. Um, so, you know, with over thirty thousand jobs a year, you know, the vast majority of those are delivered in two to three days. We really don't want to spend a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, which supplier this is going to go to, right? Based on the supplier has this capability or that capability, or they've got, you know, the ability to take on this much work or that much work. It's much easier for us just to have, you know, three large partners that can do anything that we need them to do at any scale that we need them to do it at, uh, and just, you know, predefine where that work's going and, and not have to worry about it. You mentioned QBRs earlier and uh, vendor touch points. Uh, how important is for an enterprise like Dell to meet regularly with its vendors and discuss how to scale up the relationship? Uh, are vendors investing in learning about what keeps enterprise localization managers awake at night, like the actual core problems you have to deal with? 
Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd say it's extremely important. As I said earlier, transparency is, is key. Um, right. You know, we, we have the, the EBRs, the QBRs, the joint quality QBRs. Um, you know, I meet with the account team on a monthly basis. My VP meets with senior leaders at, uh, quarterly at each supplier. Uh, my PMs and leadership team meet with their counterparts on a monthly basis. And that's that's not the count, you know, all the separate meetings that go on around a particular initiative, right? So there's ample opportunity at all levels of, of the supplier uh, to talk with us, to understand, you know, what we need for us to understand, you know, what um, maybe new capabilities that they that they have to bring to the table. Uh, so, yeah, I would say they're invested. You know, they have to be. Our suppliers will tell you that they love working with us, but they'll also tell you it's it's not a cakewalk. You know, we're very demanding, um, but we're also just demanding of ourselves. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, we complete those surveys and we survey on our own performance as well. Uh, and we ask them for feedback. We want them to tell us, you know, what we could be doing better. When please describe how do you map scaling of localization vendor relationships into your enterprise's localization KPIs? I mean, you do have certain metrics to hit, right? How do you measure that performance? Well, yeah, we do. We obviously we measure turnaround time, um, and that's available for our suppliers to to access at, at any time. Uh, we measure. We use MQM or you know DQF um, that MI quality framework to measure to measure quality. We do that through scorecards. Um, we obviously keep a really close track on on cost per word, but we're also, you know, and we talked about the surveys that we did earlier to, to, on a relationship level, uh, but we also are really starting to spend more time delving into things like edit distance on, you know, translator productivity, um, things that have an impact on, you know, our ability to turn things around, um, you know, quickly and, and with good quality. Um, so that's where we're spending more of our time now. We've got those basic metrics in place, but looking at uh, these these deeper analytics, but and then also looking at tying what we're doing, the outcomes of the translations we're doing to KPIs. So to give you an example, if you take a, a website, you take a US page on the website in English and you look at click-through rates, and then we want to, we'd want to be able to compare the click-through rates on the same page for German uh, or Japanese or whatever the case may be. And is it similar? And if it's similar, that's great. We're probably doing a pretty good job of, of translating it in a way that needs to be translated so that we we get the same um, outcome on the customer end, right? Um, but if it's lower than we would expect, then you know we're building lots of data through those the AI that I talked about earlier to figure out where the problem is a problem with our translation or is the problem with the source content wasn't very clear or, or wasn't appropriate for the market or is a does a problem sit somewhere else. So again, really thinking outside of just the traditional translation metrics and focusing on on source and outcomes. Uh, now, how do you see the future of localization vendor relationship for technology enterprises such as Dell? Where is it headed to? You know, I think relationships and that transparency will become more and more important. Skin in the game on both sides. AI will be critical. Joint innovation, working together to to understand where we can uh, get the most efficiency, provide the best outcomes for our our end customers. So. Um, relationships are, are key to that. And, you know, as technology starts doing more and more of the work and it's more of a technology first and, and human optimized, um, you know, that interaction and that relationship we have with our suppliers and our ability to understand what's taking place in the machine, so to speak, and be able to tune that, it's going to become more and more important. In closing, what are your thoughts and advice for LSP executives? How can they do better to to make sure that Dell and clients like that all meet their objectives better? 
I cringe when an LSP approaches me and, and tries to tell me that they're that they're different, right? Um, right. You know, the, you may call your services something different. You may market yourselves differently. But at the end of the day, you know, LSPs are doing the same thing, right? They're providing translation services. They do it in typically the same way. But instead, what I'm interested in is, is focus on innovation, you know, focus on how you partner with your customers and how you bring the right skill skill sets and account and PM team to the relationship. Tell me about how you're investing in the in the industry. Tell me about how you're investing in the translators, the people that are really doing the work. That's the kind of stuff that I value. So I, I think if if LSPs are in their relationship with their with their client or their prospective client are really focusing on innovation on relationships on what we can do together to better the industry and, and better the industry for those that work within it i think that's real, where the real value is well that was a great discussion and give it gave us all a glimpse inside lsp and vendor management uh, teams from an enterprise perspective i did learn quite a bit and i'm hoping that our community and colleagues all had something to learn from this with that uh, thank you so much for your time and sharing your insights great thank you really enjoyed it Oh, that was great. Localization in large enterprises is much different from managing a small translation unit in a startup. Scaling localization to meet the demands of growing amount of content and different streams such as marketing, engineering, human resources, internal comms and more is daunting and requires a disciplined mindset. As we heard, it makes sense for enterprises to review their localization vendor management strategy every few years and onboard new vendors that have the scale, experience and technology to execute localization projects of enterprise in nature. As Wayne pointed out, it is equally important for localization vendors to have a sense of collaboration and teamwork to not just execute the project in concert with the client, but to also complement other localization vendors as part of the client's business process outsourcing mechanism. For mega MLVs, it is always going to be challenging and rewarding to manage such accounts and it will go a long way to invest in the right people, technology and process for the long term. And that is a wrap for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to drop me a line if you have any comments or ideas. My goal from this podcast is to be educated and share that education with the translation and localization community. If I have been able to help you learn at least one thing today, then my goal is met. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your platform of choice and give us a five-star rating for this episode. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. 